Hello, everyone. TGIF. Welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Is anybody else feeling completely wiped out, burnt out, exhausted? I, for one, am. It has been a really long week, and I just, I've said this a zillion times on my YouTube channel, but just want to say that my heart is going out to everyone who's being affected in any way. I mean, we're all being affected in some way, but especially if you have any type of personal connection or you're dealing with stress in your business with the virus that is kind of shutting a lot of things down. So now is a really good time to lean on your community, put your CEO hat on, lean on your friends, your family, your loved ones, and take care of yourself, you know, run a bubble bath, eat some good takeout from a local business, do what you need to do to uh, make yourself feel a little better throughout this. We're here for you. I'm here for you. My community is also here for you. If you're not a part of the Freelance Friday membership, now is probably the best time to take advantage of the 30 days free. So you can go to bit.ly slash LJ membership. I'm going to leave a link for it in the show notes. Uh, Yeah, you get 30 days free. You shouldn't need to put your credit card in or anything like that. So we hop on group calls every month, at least a couple of them every month. We share content ideas and business ideas. And yeah, I think being a part of a group like that has is really helping me, honestly, even as the facilitator at such an uncertain time like this and such an unprecedented time in business. So definitely head over there. Anyway, today's episode, I'm going to keep it pretty light and pretty positive. I just have a Q&A for you guys. I actually posted part one of this Q&A on YouTube, so I will also leave that down in the show notes, the video of part one, but these are just all of the Instagram questions, and let's hop into them. Welcome to the Freelance Friday podcast. My name is Latasha James, and I'm your host. I'm a freelance digital marketer, video creator, and business coach. And this show is an inside look at the world of freelancing, featuring tips, tricks, and interviews with people who are doing it right. I'm so excited you're tuning into it. Let's get started. All right, first question says, how to grab a high ticket client from the USA? So this is a little bit difficult for me to answer because obviously I'm in the USA. I do work with a lot of clients all over the globe, so I guess I can speak a bit to working with international clients. I actually got that question on one of my YouTube videos recently, so I think it's a question people have. So I personally find most of my global clients on the internet. Most of them actually come to me from YouTube or LinkedIn. So they reach out to me. It's more of an inbound thing. And then I also have worked with clients in other countries through Upwork. I know I've kind of taken breaks from working on Upwork and not working on Upwork right now. I do have a couple of clients on Upwork and I'm actually really liking it. And speaking of that, next week's episode is actually going to be an interview with somebody who's really doing the Upwork thing right. And we're going to give some tips and tricks for optimizing your profile and just, you know, working that platform, if you will. So yeah, that's kind of how I've been able to do that. As far as high ticket clients, I think it's all about the value that you're able to give and that you're displaying. I mean, researching market rates for the country in question is really helpful because obviously if you're marketing yourself towards a company in a country that maybe has a lower cost of living than the U.S us, it's going to be hard to get that high ticket pricing. So knowing your market, knowing the market value, that kind of thing does help. And then, like I said, knowing your value and really displaying your value, having 
good case studies, good testimonials. It shouldn't matter where you're from to be able to earn what you deserve. So if I, you know, I work with with uh, freelancers in my business for me from all over the world, and I don't take their nationality into account when I hire them. I, I think of market rate for the US for the most part. So you should be able to get what you need as long as you are presenting yourself, you know, uh, presenting your value, I guess. This is a good question. How do you keep up with your own self-marketing while balancing client work? Mm, yeah, it is a, it's a struggle. I'm going to be honest with you. I get this question all the time. And, you know, I think I don't always practice what I'm about to preach. I really don't, but I try my best to treat myself like my own client, like my number one client. So if I would designate a day to work on a project for a client, or if I would set aside hours, you know, a certain number of hours for a contract that I have, I'm going to do the same thing for me. And it's hard to do that sometimes because I think, you know, even like recording this right now, I have a million other things going on and I'm like, I don't know, I should really be doing something else. But I need to realize that this has value. And I think if you're able to tie your content to value for your business and for yourself, it's a lot easier to do. When I don't post podcasts, when I don't post YouTube videos, when I don't post on my Instagram or LinkedIn, I get less work. I get less inquiries coming in. I, you know, it, it, it all works together and I understand how that funnel works. So for me, I it can feel a little bit less guilty when I do take the time to do things like this. Another thing that I really recommend is batching your content. I know that's a very common, common tip and it seems really overdone, but it's very true. I mean, setting aside a few days a month to record YouTube videos is a lot less daunting and a lot more doable than recording a YouTube video every single week. That's just not possible for me and my lifestyle and my client workload and all that stuff. So yeah, I will record at a minimum two videos per sitting. So if I sit down, get myself ready, get my camera set up, I'm going to record at least two videos that day unless, you know, there's a super, a super special circumstance. So that way, you know, that's content for two weeks and I do the same thing a couple days per month. So it's all ready to go. I try to do the same thing with my podcast, but lately I've been slacking. Uh, But whenever I do have time, I do try to kind of batch record my podcast as well. And then I do the same thing with editing. If I am editing a video, I try to at least get started on a second one or get the concept ready or get SEO research done for another one or something like that. So batching really helps. And then lastly, adding things onto my calendar. Again, that kind of holds me accountable to make sure that I'm actually producing content if it's on my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it's not happening. That's just what works for me. Some people like to use like Asana or Trello. So whatever your whatever task management tool you use for your clients, I would add your, your personal brand video or content or blogging or podcast or whatever it is into that as well. So you're basically treating yourself like a client. Next question, how do you be firm with your price if it's a client you really want to help and is good for your business? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's about just knowing what your rock bottom is, essentially. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but your lowest low, you know, knowing what your what your um, range, your your range is. I typically go into a negotiation and go into a proposal with 
a, a high estimate or high ask. You know, let's say that I'm going to ask for $3,000 for a package of some sort. I'm usually going to assume that we're probably going to end up around 28, 27, whatever it is. But I'm going to go in high just to cover cover myself. And yeah, again, typically then maybe they'll counter and say, hey, how about 25? And I say, how about 27? And then we go from there. But when I go into a situation like that, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, if I'm offering three, I'm not going any lower than 25. That's the lowest I can go or 2000 or, you know, whatever that is in your head, because I think you have to draw those boundaries for yourself to help you avoid getting uh, taken advantage of essentially. I mean, I, I know I've kind of gotten in the past sort of for lack of better words, forced into taking something that was just way, way under. And I felt it's such a weird feeling. You almost feel kind of violated and like it, it, it just doesn't feel right, you know? Um, and so, yeah, having that boundary in your head saying, if this is a no to this, this price, I can't do it because at that point, it's not even about the money. It's about, It's about the boundary. It's about respecting the boundary, respecting your needs and your ask and things like that. So that's what I recommend. You know, if you really want the business, I mean, I've worked with businesses, obviously, as portfolio projects. I do have an episode on portfolio projects and when you should work for free. And I think that's a little bit of a different thing. Let's say that I, you know, especially in this environment right now with a lot of restaurants and things like that really struggling and and cutting costs a lot. Maybe I only worked with restaurants prior to this coronavirus stuff and I wanted to expand into working with software companies. And I know a software company that I really wanted to get as a case study. I think that's different. You know, I think that's different because that's a portfolio project. So you can, again, I would still set boundaries though. If you, are you going to do it for free or are you going to do a super discounted package? Know what your boundary is, know what your lowest low is and still have them adhere to it. Because if, if you're doing something at a discount and they're still not agreeing to your discounted rate, then that's a big red flag if you ask me. And it really speaks to the sustainability of the company too. You don't want to work with companies that aren't necessarily going to be sustainable and that aren't going to, you know, last for a while. So anyway, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but basically know your boundaries. <laughs> How do you weed out prospects that can't afford your services? Another great question. So a couple of things. I think I have added my pricing to my website, at least some starting prices and some idea, like some thought starters to my website. I think that has really made a night and day difference for me because here's the thing. Nobody likes to feel dumb. Nobody likes to feel annoying. Nobody likes to feel cheap. People don't like to feel that. I don't. I know if I'm looking at like a fancy furniture website or something like that, If pricing isn't listed on that website, I'm going to assume that I can't afford it and or I'm going to be not interested in that company anymore because I don't want to have to call there, email there and ask how much something is and, and sound like a cheapo. Nobody likes to feel that way. And so, yeah, having pricing really does help kind of establish some sense of what your rate is so that you're pretty much only getting qualified people sending through that submit button on your form. So that's really helped me. And then I think it also comes down to targeting and marketing, of course. So 
understanding who you are talking to and who your ideal client is. You know, you have to under you you know, you have to have a persona developed and and have an idea of what type of company or what type of person you're going after. You know, it's going to be hard if I am offering resume writing services, let's say to uh, college students, right? It's going to be hard to get what you kind of deserve unless you're targeting their parents. That could maybe work. But if you're specifically targeting an 18 year old, you're not going to get more than $50 a resume <laughs> nine times out of 10. Um, but if you want to do resume writing services for mid career professionals who are looking to enter the C suite or who are looking for management roles or whatever that is, that's a totally different audience and market and type of messaging that you're offering. So taking a look at how you can kind of, you know, pivot your marketing. I, I know for me, I would always say, oh yeah, I work with small businesses for a long time and, and startups because I love startups. But saying that, I think it is a totally different thing than what I say now, which is I work primarily with funded startups and established small businesses. Do you see the difference in that? You know, those are funded startups mean that they have money, that they have a little bit of funding to at least be able to afford a marketing person and pay them what they're what they're worth. Established small businesses probably have a good a good handle on their cash flow and have a good understanding of their cash flow and their resources. So those are totally different things than saying like, you know, I work with any small business. No, there's no thing is too small. And to be, to be, to be totally honest for anyone listening, there is no such thing as too small. I'm, I'm totally happy to help anybody, but that is primarily who I help. And that is the bulk of my business is, you know, funded and established smaller businesses. So those are my thoughts on that. What is the best way to organize your Instagram? So I'm not entirely sure what this question is really asking. I apologize. Um, but I guess I can talk about some of my favorite tools for Instagram. That may be um, what this person is asking. I personally like to actually just use Facebook Creator Studio for scheduling my Instagram. And I do have a video on that as well. So if you want to just look on my YouTube channel, I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes. But yeah, pretty much to use Facebook Creator Studio to schedule. If you like to see the visual planning of your feed, you can use a tool like Plan. You can use a tool like Planoly. I used to use those for a long time. And now I kind of just, I don't know, I guess after doing it for so long, I sort of start to know how to like arrange it in my head, if you will. I don't need to see the visual so much. But if you're new to Instagram marketing, I think a tool like that is super helpful. Or if you're just a more visual person, those are great. And then as far as actually like setting up your profile and stuff, I have really been loving highlights, stories, highlights for my clients and for myself. And I feel like I wasn't really fully utilizing those for a while, but I've really realized their magic lately, I guess you could say. So using them strategically, if you are an e-commerce store, having a shop highlight, having a, our favorites for spring, since it's spring now, yay. Uh, having, you know, influencers, or I, I probably wouldn't call it that, but like seen seen on maybe a, a highlights tab for influencers who've worn your clothing, uh, you know, where you can find us. So maybe if you have any brick and mortar uh, retailers that carry your, your clothes, being able to tag them in a highlight, testimonials if you're a service-based business. Like I really like using highlights to um, almost act as like a menu and help people kind of guide people through your Instagram channel. So I hope that kind of answered your question. This person said reaching potential clients through email, calling, or in person. And then I think I got another one similar. 
Um, 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 oh yeah, it says, do you go after clients, like prospecting them? How is the process? Okay, so I personally, I talked about Upwork. I do use Upwork sometimes. If I feel like I want, you know, want to see what's out there, if I feel like I want to pick up an extra client, especially if it's a short-term project, I'll go on Upwork. But most of my, my marketing for my business is truly inbound, meaning that I... I I put out messages online and people kind of come to my website and reach out to me. So the ways that I do that is through LinkedIn is really big for me. I try to be active on there and make sure that I'm publishing new content on there. You know, whether that's just a quick link share, whether that's a video, whether that's a blog post, whatever it is, just something on LinkedIn, at least a few times a week. And then I also obviously do YouTube and do podcasting. I don't get so many um, service-based leads for my agency through these channels. It's mostly people coming to me for coaching and help with their businesses, but that does make up a big part of my business as well. So that's kind of what I do. Now, obviously when I was getting started, I did have to, you know, do a lot more to sell in an outbound kind of sales process. I personally have never done cold calls and that's not to say that they don't work. I, you know, yes, they do have a low conversion rate. You have to call a lot of people, but obviously it does work. I mean, it's something that people have done for a long time and it certainly does work. You just have to have kind of thick skin and you have to make a lot of calls to get one yes or one maybe or one coffee meeting. So for me, it just didn't seem super effective. Mostly what I would do is email. I also like cold emails a little bit better because for an industry like mine and and a lot of yours, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to show what social media management is like on the phone. It's like, hey, like I'll do this, I'll do that. Here's some examples of my work. Like you can't really do that on the phone. So I like doing an email because you can actually attach a nice PDF, like a a portfolio sample, some testimonials, a nice little kit that they can kind of take time to sit down with and click on, you know, your your content and watch a video or something. And it's just a little bit more personalized, I think. So that's typically what I do or what I would do for a long time. In person, I haven't really done that as well besides in-person networking. I mean, I, I definitely go to networking events, conferences, things like that. I think those are incredibly valuable and I've made some amazing connections at things like that. Now, I honestly haven't necessarily made a ton of clients directly from those things, like doing speaking gigs, attending conferences, things like that. But I've often found like my biggest cheerleaders in those places. So people might have watched me speak and started to follow me on social and recommend me to people in their network and, you know, just kind of like become a supporter and and help amplify my message. So I do think they're very valuable and I've gotten a lot of referrals that way, but you could also just, you know, walk in to restaurants, stores, things like that. You could definitely do that. Again, I would just be strategic with it about what time you're going in. I wouldn't go into a restaurant on Friday night at 8 PM when it's busy you're not going to be super effective, but maybe going in on a Monday in the morning when a manager is likely there, that might be a little bit more effective. Best way to do research before developing a content strategy for illustrators. So for any content strategy, I think it's really important to know your audience, to understand who your ideal client is. Are you going to be targeting companies, you know, like um, maybe food and packaging companies, or you're going to be targeting authors, children's book authors or children 
children's bookstores or, you know, what are you going to do? What, you know, what type of illustration are you going to do? Are you going to be targeting bloggers and small business owners who want like fun little graphics for their websites? So understand your audience because the marketing strategy for all of those different audiences that I just said is totally different for a small business, you know, personal brand kind of thing. You're going to be on Instagram a lot, probably maybe YouTube for a company, you know, doing packaging or something like that. You're probably going to want to be on LinkedIn for uh, children's books, authors, things like that. You're going to want to get into some writing communities, maybe on Reddit or Facebook or, uh, you know, definitely on Instagram too, probably for something like that. So figuring out which platforms you should be on really depends on who you want to talk to, number one. And then I think uh, just kind of diving into those communities, understanding what types of content those people are posting, what types of people those, you know, target clients are already following. So you can get a good understanding of kind of what the competitors, if you will, or, or the, the your peers in that field are doing. So you can determine if there are things that you want to participate in, if there's things that maybe you feel like aren't being done very well and you want to do something different. Uh, I think that's kind of where my research sort of starts. And then I, you know, from there, I think it's about establishing your pillar content and your content messaging, your content platforms, that kind of thing. So figuring out, okay, you're an illustrator. Do you want to just focus on showcasing work that you've already done? Do you want to focus on doing, you know, kind of injecting your personality things and doing like a vlog style things like, hey, here's a tour of my studio and here's the process of being an illustrator. Or do you want to do kind of tutorial style things and, you know, hey, I'm working on this piece right now, come draw with me and do like a live stream or whatever, you know, just figuring out what types of content you want to do. And those are all kind of video content that I mentioned, but you don't have to do video. You could just post pictures. You could start a blog. You could do a podcast interviewing people in the industry. So think about what your strengths are, what you want to do, make that your pillar content. And then from there, you know, focus on making a good 10 pieces of content, five pieces of content, something like that to start with. So you have enough to kind of spread out throughout the month. And then really just repurpose that content. Again, if you did a studio vlog, okay, cool. That's one big piece of content that I'm going to launch on Monday next week. And then on Wednesday that week, I'm going to post a still from that video on my Instagram. And then on Friday, I'm going to publish a blog post and embed that video into it. And I'm going to share that on LinkedIn. So uh, just a couple examples. But uh, yeah, it really starts with audience. (laughs) Uh, This question says, for most clients, how many social media platforms do you manage for them? So for most of my clients, uh, a few, a few, I would say like, um, I have a couple clients that I do everything for. So everything from LinkedIn to Pinterest, to YouTube, to Instagram, to Twitter, but I really don't like to take on more than a couple of those clients. Cause that is super exhausting, right? That's a lot of stuff. Granted, like I just said in the last answer, I'm repurposing a lot. So just like for my channel, I'm not, you know, my, my social presence, I'm not creating brand new original cinematic pieces for all of those different platforms. So I'm definitely repurposing a lot, but it's still just a lot to manage. So yeah, I have like two clients that I kind of do more than three platforms. But beyond that, a lot of people come to me for like one or two. It's like, hey, I'm an e-commerce business and we need to amp up our Instagram presence. Or, hey, I heard that LinkedIn should be used for building my personal brand. Can you help me with that? Uh, And then honestly, like a lot of my clients lately have been video and content creation 
clients where I'm actually not managing their socials. I'm just creating content and sending it over to them and then they can kind of like do whatever they need to do with it. Um, Okay, actually, I think that's it. The last few questions are repeats. So I hope that this Q&A was interesting, helpful, and all of that. Again, I'm going to leave part one of this Q&A, the video link in the show notes, and I'm also going to leave a link to my membership community. If you'd like to go ahead and join, you can get 30 days free in that community and uh, hop into our next group call, introduce yourself in the community forum, let us know what you do, anything that you're struggling with, anything you're excited about, We'd love to help you out, get to know you over there. It's a super fun place to be. And I think we all need a little bit of company nowadays and a little bit of support nowadays. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please review the show, you guys. It really helps out so, so much. So it really mean the world to me if you left a review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts, whatever the heck it's called. And I will talk to you in the next episode next Friday. Bye. I'm Latasha James, and that's it for this episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to review it on iTunes or share it with a friend. This podcast is all about community, so you can also go ahead and head over to the Facebook group. It's called the Freelance Friday podcast community, or follow me on social. My handle is the Latasha James across all platforms. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. And like I said, feel free to share it with a friend, tag a friend, screenshot the episode and tag a friend. It really helps us grow this community. And my goal is to help as many people through this collective community become better freelancers and more empowered freelancers. So that's it for the episode. I'll talk to you in the next one. It airs every single Friday. I'll talk to you again then.